Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 136. We are recording this on Sunday, July 25th, 2021 at 3 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Zach, how much uh, so far, how much has your movie watching been hampered by the Olympics? Uh, Very little. Uh, I'm trying to boycott the Olympics for like 10 different reasons. I mean, how, what do you want to get into? Shakari Richardson, uh, the, the gymnast scandal, the deaths uh, due to the construction, the COVID, whatever. But I do have to say, watching the Olympic basketball game today, I don't know if you guys watched that. Mm-hmm. What a frustrating game, in part because as a Celtics fan, Evan Fournier sucked this year, and he was <laughs> lights out in this game completely inexplicably. And uh, yeah, it just, it was a reminder how stupid the Olympics are. I I like your random bits of trivia you've been texting me. Like, what's the only sport that doesn't uh, specify male and female? Todd, do you know that? The only sport that doesn't uh, distinguish between male and female athletes? Terry Uh, got it. I would have never got it. Yeah, you got right away. Nope, Nope, skeet shooting is not the answer. Archery? Nope. Think a really stupid sport. The the, the There we go. (laughs) Okay. I would have thought that would have had more of a chance than, like, shooting, but okay. (laughs) In fact, it wasn't even equestrian that I was watching. It was something where, like, crozage or something, where the horses... Yeah, the the horses do, like, tap dancing. Why is that a sport? I don't know. Well, I was watching ping pong earlier, and that there was a team that had a guy and a girl on it, so that, that would qualify, too. Well, that, that's mixed, though. Like, there's mixed doubles, table tennis, and badminton, and I don't tennis. Know. I, and... I heard it from the broadcast. It's not coming from me. I Blame NBC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, and your follow-up was, I'm I'm right now watching a 66-year-old athlete oh, yeah. on a horse. And, and she I said, was the and oldest I said, athlete in the, in the Olympics. She's 66 years old. Yeah, she and was... I, said, I said, the rider or the horse? And <laughs> I didn't get that sarcasm, though. You, you, he did not get the sarcasm. I thought that was an actual question. No, no, no. Right no, over no. my head. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Cause, well, because to me, I mean, the horse is the athlete, not the rider at that point. So that, that was more the point I was making. I mean, the horse in Toy Story 2 must be pretty old. That is true. That is true. Maybe 66. I also liked your other bit of trivia of name the only country that is in all four hemispheres. I, I that one that one stumped me. I thought I had it, but I was wrong. Do you have any ideas, Todd? So this should have um, been trivia today. Those two questions should have been part of my trivia. They were amazing so it, questions. It's got to be like I don't know, like Egypt or something. No, that's not a bad guess though. Yeah, not bad. You're a little off. I thought it was gonna be. Well, my first guess was Great Britain. Yeah, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have texted you that question if that was the answer. That's a, yeah, that's because, a, that's a lame answer. Because I, I figured they they have, because the prime reading goes through Great Britain, 
And so they're and in they east, so west, territories. and north, and they have territories, I think, in the southern hemisphere. Oh, would that, but I guess that, that was wrong. I, I, I would thought that you tried to find it right at the at the meeting point. Well, and, that, and that's yeah, what it, it actually yeah. is. It's on the other side, though. It's Kiribati, which has islands in all four, because okay. it's a huge island chain. I wonder Pacific. if Kiribati has ever submitted a film for Best International Film. That's that a great would be question. a great question. That should be a come to the stable shit if that's ever happened. Uh, the Kiribatian film. Only if only if like half of it is filmed on one side of the dateline and the other half of it is filmed on the other side. That's true. That would that would be pretty pretty nuts. Yeah. All right. Well, I yeah, I think I think we've exhausted our Olympics talk here. <laughs> Todd, do you have a take about the Olympics? I'm sorry to. Dominate. I mean, it's in the middle of the night. I haven't watched anything live, really. So, I mean, I've I've, I've watched some replay stuff, but hasn't really been on that much. Why was the first event of the Olympics like three days before the opening ceremonies? That's what I want to know. Like the softball tournament started on Tuesday, and the opening ceremonies were Friday. They probably need more time to get all their games in, right? I guess, but it, I, that's just crazy. Anyways, let's get to movies now, because that's what we're actually here to talk about. But, I mean, Olympics come, but once every five years. So, um, well, actually, the cool two, part... Two years, really. Oh, yeah. But... The next Olympics is in six months, by the way. Because it's coming up, at, or seven months. I think it's seven months. Like, February of 2022 will be the next Winter Olympics. Where is that? Beijing. They'll be the first to host a summer and a winter. Hmm. That's another good trivia question. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. We're just full of them today, but only about Olympics, not about movies. Well, let's start talking about movies. First off, make sure that you subscribe, rate, review all over the internet. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Uh, be checking out this uh, our main podcast. Be checking out Daily Notes. Uh, Adam's got a bunch of good stuff going on there. Also be checking out the Almost Sideways Sideshow. Uh, this week, we're wrapping up Band of Brothers, episodes 9 and 10. Make sure you check that out if you're a fan of that show as much as Todd and I are. Adam's watching it for the first time. Zach is boycotting Band of Brothers after I made him watch the first two. And the Olympics. Um, and the Olympics. Boycotting the Band of Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Zach, what are you drinking? I actually have a special beverage today. Uh, so this is Garnacha de Fuego from Spain. And uh, I got to say, I really, as I'm now becoming an old person, we're reviewing a movie called Old today. Um, I'm getting really tired of shit wine. Like, I don't want to drink something that tastes like the back of an L.A. school bus. So I've been notching up my wine. I'll, I will go to $10 now. And this was on sale for $10. It's 15.7% alcohol content. It's from Spain. Like movies, uh, really, American wine sucks. Don't get it. It's one of the flaws in Sideways is that California wine is kind of garbage. So uh, this is actually something pretty wonderful. And, uh, yeah, I think it's the first wine I've had in this podcast in quite a while. You, you, so you were out of uh, Free State Brewing? Uh, no, not necessarily. I just, um, well, long story short, I opened this uh, the other night and could not finish it. So uh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm extending the fun all the way to the next day. Perfect. Drink, drink until morning. Perfect. Good, good. All right, Todd, what do you got? Uh, the Pyramid Coast Day IPA. 
So. Nice Stein. Mm -hmm. Look, looking good there. Looking good there. All right. Well, I went to the brewery today, and I got um. This is a a West Coast IPA from uh, Band Brewing Company. This is called the Devil's Cabbage. That sounds. I, I mean, it sounds gross. I mainly it's just get it name. for the names. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. good though. It's good beer. But Wait, you get yeah. it for the names. Of a lot of them because they're they're witty names. When you go to like small time breweries, you got some like last week was what we don't need no stinking hops, and now it's the Devil's Cabbage. And I mean, hey, a, a good name is is a good beer. That yeah. I mean that that sent me down the shitter when I was going for names and bottles with wine. Now I just do the point system, and it can't be from America. Well, we'll have some fun next week. So, uh, oh so, yes, let's uh, talk about that. Yes, let let's just throw this out there. Next week will be a very special episode of the podcast, potentially extended quite a bit. Who knows? We'll we'll see what happens because for the first time in almost sideways history, the three of us and Adam will be in the same room. Not not like in the same room to record. It'll be the first time like Adam and Zach have seen each other face to face. Like we will be all four of us will be in the same room. We will be uh, revealing our our updated top 100 movies of all time, which I'm super excited about. It's going to be awesome. And, and we're uh, gonna tally it up and make our group top ten. I was just thinking time. about that too. I've, <laughs> I'm gonna have to do that. Maybe it's gonna be a top twenty-five or something. I don't know. But yeah, so we're we're doing that next uh, next week, next uh, next Sunday. We'll be all together uh, doing that. Uh, I feel kind of like the Olympics because you know I've been preparing the venue a little bit, getting things ready, and uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun time for sure. Can we invite people over? You're you're and we're welcome to come if you know where we're we're not going to say where we are. We're in an undisclosed location. But if you know, you, you can bring us alcohol. <laughs> there, there we go. There we go. <laughs> there will be a tasting during this uh, during our, our, uh, our reveal for sure. Uh, all right. Let's move on. What have we been watching? And we're going to go to uh, we're going to go to Todd first, because I, I think. We we finished the cager officially last yeah. week because Pig just came out. I'm sure we'll revisit it. But what what's what's our new thing, Todd? What are we doing? Well, I'm not entirely sure yet because I was trying to come up with another actor in Cage that came up around the same time as Cage. But I, there's like a bunch that I want to do, so I'm just gonna go through them and see which one sticks the best. Okay. So my, so my first one is a Mickey Rourke movie that I've yes. never heard of. Nice. He's the one. He's the one that I say you do. He gets my vote. <laughs> Uh, movie from 1991, directed by Simon Windsor, called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Oh yes! And I uh, great pick. I have this movie because it was a movie that was abandoned in my grandfather's basement, and it had Mickey Rourke in it. So I grabbed it. I didn't know it existed. <laughs> um, but um, it's the direct. The director is the director of such classics as like Free Willy, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, and The Phantom with Billy Zane. <laughs> So, but he's also an Emmy-winning director of Lonesome Doves, which doesn't really fit. But uh, uh, yeah, but this guy not exactly, uh, not exactly the best director, I guess. Um, the, it's it's kind of feels like an '80s movie in, the, in his aesthetic and its music. <coughs> Mickey Rourke plays Harley Davidson, and Don Johnson plays Robert Lee Edison, the Marlboro Man, and they're like these two biker buddies whose favorite hangout bar is going to uh, 
closed down. So they decided to take the money back by holding up the corrupt bank's uh, armored car. The problem is the armored car doesn't have money in it. It has this like new street drug called Crystal Dream. And you can imagine how well that goes over. Uh, the supporting cast is kind of interesting. There's like a really young Kelly Who. There's uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Tia Carrere, Tom Sizemore, Vanessa Williams. Chelsea Fields plays Officer Virginia Slim, who is obviously the Marlboro Man's ex-lover. Yeah, they have some weird names in here. Daniel Baldwin is also in it. Maybe it is a 90s movie after all. Um, and it, it, it's like trying to be a current day Western, maybe even a little like futuristic, but it feels like in the aura of being a more of a classic Western. John Don Johnson's doing his thing. This is right in his like the side of his fame when he's like between Miami Vice and Nash Bridges. Mickey Rourke is interesting to watch, <laughs> even though he really isn't really trying. Like he's still interesting to watch. And there's like a lot of non-famous people in this that have probably get the best performances. Like uh, Big John Stud plays Jack Daniels, and Eloy Casados plays Jose Corvo. And they they feel like guys that you would meet in a bar. Like th- those guys are really authentic uh, performances. But it, it kind of shifts genres a lot. It, it it goes from like a western to like a heist movie to a die-hard level action movie. And there's some quotable stuff. I could have seen myself watching this a ton when I was a kid if I knew that it existed. Um, but evidently, Mickey Rourke only signed on to the movie for purely financial reasons because he was like basically like broke at the time. And he knew he was selling out. And he said after this movie is why he got depressed and had a really shitty 90s. So uh, it definitely has a place in history, I guess. And he also said Don Johnson, again, is one of the best actors he's ever worked with. And he basically directed the movie and he always looked up to him. Like, he's basically freaking Eric Roberts, you know? That was a total Mickey thing to say. But uh, Gene loved this movie. Roger hated it like every other critic. I'm in the middle. I, I thought it was fun. I gave it two stars. All right. All right. Have, have you started the the uh, the Rorker yet, or whatever you're going to call it? Or... Well, I've, I, I'm, Rork and I'm, roll. I don't know. <laughs> I, could, I could try. I, 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 there's some other stuff I want to do. Some other actors I want to try to dive into some of their random movies before I commit to doing all like 190 Mickey Rourke movies. (laughs) So, so is this, is this a movie where, where we see like, does Mickey Rourke look more like, like eighties Mickey Rourke heartthrob or, or like wrestler Mickey Rourke or somewhere. There was a, there was, yeah, there, there was a part of time when he, he no longer looked like a young man. It was like when he really looked like a boxer, like he doesn't look old and like he does like, like domino era and on he looks old <coughs> this is more in that uh the other the other era okay he's he has a, he's had some interesting aging so how, where did you hear that roger didn't like it because uh, they actually featured this movie on their guilty pleasures episode in 1991 i thought they both liked it no i uh I, well i watched that that little clip of them okay talking about it but and Ro- uh, Roger was basically laughing at Gene because he had gi- he said he g- gave it basically a thumbs up, and and Roger's like, "You didn't even like Barfly, and you like this thing, or, you know?" Like they, <laughs> they had a little bit of a, a spat about it. But what's interesting is that all those movies you mentioned by the director of Harley Davidson in the Marble Man, not a director that uh, Mickey said was a director that comes along once every twenty five years, like an Adrian Line, but that director. Uh, every movie you mentioned was a movie that Roger passionately loved. Like he loved Free Willy and he loved, I don't know about the Crocodile Dundee movie, but there was something else you mentioned that he also did. Yeah, he loved the Phantom. He gave that shit like three and a half stars. (laughs) The Phantom with Billy Zane. Yeah, he loved it. Lovely. 
here's a trivia question for you. Do any do either of you know who wrote Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles? Oh, it's a, it's like a really famous for like JJ Abrams or something. Hunter no. S. Thompson. No, fantasy fantasy football guru Matthew Barry. Oh wow. The talented Mr. Roto. Yeah, yeah. He 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 wrote he wrote that one. I, I have to also say, I also watched a, a Mickey Rourke movie this week. I wasn't going to talk about it, but I watched Body Heat for the first time. And and uh, it, it's it's part of TCM's neo-noir series they have going on, which is really cool to hear, hear Eddie Moeller and Ben Minkowitz talk about movies together. But uh, that one was really good. That was an awesome movie. I have not seen that. You have not oh. know he was in that. Yeah, it, it's like it's like the movie that that makes him a star. Like that was when he first got noticed. So Todd, maybe for next week you're watching Body Heat because it's still on TCM on demand right now. All right. Yeah, wait. I know it's it's on my list of stuff I want to watch. So there you go. There I you choose go. to do another Mickey Rourke movie. <laughs> there's a, there's Eric Roberts. There's like I don't know Matt Dillon. There's a lot of those like actors that have been in a million movies that um, all came up at the same time. I could see you having fun doing Matt Dillon. Yeah. Yep. All right. Bacon. That's another one. Let's move on. I'm next here. Uh, my anniversary Oscar watch goes back 10 years to a movie. It was nominated for three Oscars. Didn't win any. It was nominated for sound mixing, sound editing, and visual effects. Hereafter? No, no. I think that only got one nomination. Uh, Transformers something. Transformers: Dark of the Moon. Wow, <laughs> nice pull, Todd. Nice pull. Thanks. Yes. So, uh, for some reason, I watched uh the first two Transformers movies when they came out, and then abandoned the the franchise because I I guess it's because it, 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 at that point it's like why why keep watching. And that's kind of what I felt like watching this one uh, over the last. I, it took me three days to watch it because it's a two and a half hour movie. Uh, I I just finished it before we we started uh, recording here. And the the frustrating thing. So this thing is it's directed by Michael Bay. This is the last one that Shia LaBeouf is in as Sam Witwicky. Uh, Megan Fox is left at this point uh, for some reason. We're supposed to believe that. Um, that Megan Fox breaks up with the nerdy Shia LaBeouf, and instead, as the replacement, he gets uh, Victoria's Secret model Rosie Huntington-Whiteley as his new girlfriend, and uh, that has already advanced to the point that Megan Fox's relationship with him had been at in the previous movies. Anyways, um, the sad part is the Transformers universe has some really cool, rich storylines and great characters, and they bring about some of that in these movies. So Dark of the Moon, uh, they they discovered that there was a one of their one of the, the Autobots had a uh, had a spacecraft crash on the moon uh, and on the back side of the moon, on the dark side of the moon, um, like or like in the 60s or something. And the whole reason we went to the moon was to investigate this crash site. And they even have a cameo from Buzz Aldrin talking about how he went to the moon to look at this Autobots crash site and well, not to... Of course to... they do. Of course they do, yeah. So, like, like real life, present-day Buzz Aldrin is in this movie. Um, and, uh, and it turns out this was, like, a, a last-ditch effort to try and save 
uh, the Autobots fight against the Decepticons to over their planet, and it crashed on its way out, so it didn't uh, survive. But Optimus Prime brings back Sentinel Prime, who is was one of their greatest warriors, who ends up betraying them, and then it becomes this whole this whole thing. Uh, it's kind of a cool story. But it's way too long. It's way too bloated. It's way too overblown. And it's get and it got to the point where it's like, I don't care anymore. If you want me to care, actually make it a decent, a decent length. Like this, there's no reason this needs to be two and a half hours long. The crazy part, too, is this is at the time when Transformers was like at its height. It was making Shia LaBeouf a star. Um, and the cast for this movie is insane. So you've got Shia LaBeouf. And you've got Tyrese, you know, doing basically what he does in Fast and the Furious. Uh, he, there's even a moment where he's like, he had like quit. And then he's like going to get back into the game. And he assembles his old team together. It's like family's everything. You know, and it comes up over and over again. Josh DeHommel's in this again. John Turturro's in it. Patrick Dempsey, Francis McDormand, John Malkovich are in these movies or in this one. I mean, this is like the most like anti Francis McDormand movie I've ever seen Francis McDormand in. And there's this whole like subplot of how John Turturro is secretly in love with Francis McDormand, which is hilarious. It's the best part of the movie. Um, she plays like the director of the CIA. Anyways, I'm giving it two stars. It's a cool concept. It was way too long, way too overbloated. Uh, what was really funny is some of the creatures and some of the like things that were going on kind of felt like uh, the first Avengers movie which came out like a year or two later, but they did it well. And this just is ridiculous. So two stars for dark of the moon. I can't really I, differentiate between some of them. Is this the one where Shia LaBeouf like kicks the shit out of that yellow car? Or is that the second one? Kicks the shit out of yellow car. Maybe it's the second one then. I don't know. Are you talking about Bumblebee? Well, well Bumblebee is his car. But Bumblebee has to go work on other stuff, so he has a different yellow car. And it is kind of a mess, and he... I don't know. I don't know which part you're talking about, though. Okay. So, yeah, it's probably a different one. And so I, I can't... Yeah, they all blend together in my eyes. I don't they, they, other they, they, I like that that scene somehow made an impact on you, Todd. Shia LaBeouf <laughs> beating the shit out of his yellow car. Well, yeah, I mean, that was, like, my favorite part of those movies because Shia LaBeouf is, like, pissed off. Where he gets to a certain point, like, he's just pissed off for the rest of the movies that he did. I think Shia LaBeouf is always pissed off in any movie he's in. It's true. It's true. All right, Zach, what's your Criterion Watch? All right, so back in November, Adam and I did an episode with the great Daisuke Beppo, uh, yeah. who uh, talked a lot about his Criterions, and we asked him, what is his favorite Criterion? And he responded that his favorite criterion is a movie from 1991 called A Brighter Summer Day, directed by Edward Yang. This has been uh, one of my big white whales for a long time. This is a four-hour Taiwanese movie that has over 60 speaking parts. And by it has a reputation of being a very uh, complex and complicated movie uh, to watch, particularly for Western audiences, um, in part because uh, the characters go by multiple names in the movie. So you're not always sure who exactly is what. Uh, 
But uh, Edward Yang was a great director. He directed Yi Yi, which was on my top 10 list of, uh, of 2000. And so I had to, at some point, watch this movie. And boy, was Daisuke absolutely right. This is an absolute masterpiece. One of the best movies of the 90s, I think. And uh, it uh, takes place in Taiwan in the early 1960s. And um, in that time, the uh, nationalists uh, had come from China after the Chinese Civil War, and they had settled in Taiwan. And so the movie uh, depicts this family. And the main character is a teenager named Xiao Sir, and he's played by Chen Chang. And his family is ethnic Chinese, but they moved to Taiwan, Taipei, in the early 60s. And the son is basically uh, seduced by the gangs, the rival gangs in Taipei. In fact, there's two gangs. They're, one gang is called the Little Park Boys, and the other gang is called the 217s. And so he goes through the first part of the movie kind of experimenting with both gangs. He's not really sure which gang he wants to join. Um, over the course of the movie, we meet the gang leaders, and they reach a sort of truce before um, you know this kind of bloody rivalry ensues. And in the backdrop of all of this is this culture of Taiwan that is infused with Japanese, Chinese, and native Taiwanese. And there is a shared mutual love of American culture in this movie that's just fantastic. The, the title, a, Better, a Brighter Summer Day, actually comes from the Elvis Presley song, Are You Lonesome Tonight? And there's a character in this movie who's Schauser's uh, best friend. His name is Kat. And he's like, I want to say like 11 or 12 years old. His voice hasn't changed yet. And so when they go to the music hall, he sings like all of these like falsetto uh, songs. He sings like the girl part. And there's a guy, another guy that sings the guy part. And it is amazing. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful sequence. Um, this movie, like I said, is four hours long. It's an epic. It doesn't necessarily cover a long period of time per se. It mostly takes place in just this one crucial year of Schauser's life. But we see him kind of evolve from some someone who is uh, supposedly this gifted student to someone who becomes a delinquent, essentially, and someone who's kind of cast out of the society by both his family and by the existing structures in Taiwanese society. We're introduced to his family. His father is this kind of salaryman character who has a kind of questionable background that especially the second half of the movie kind of leans into. This is a phenomenal movie. Um, earlier, you know, I, 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 I don't know how much I talked about Tenet, but the experience of watching Tenet was really difficult because the movie didn't make any sense. You had to go to Wikipedia. This is almost the, like the flip side of it. This is a difficult movie. And sometimes you do have to go to Wikipedia to make sure you know what exactly is happening. But the truth is, it is fantastic to watch, even if you're a little bit in the dark. Um, Edward Yang is such a gifted filmmaker from like an, a, an aesthetic standpoint and from, you know, you mostly stick with this main character. So it's not like too crazy, but uh, you get a sense of the sprawl of this society. And basically what becomes of this character is uh, really amazing and unpredictable. The Chinese translation of this title, Don't Look Up, because it kind of spoils the, the end of the movie. Uh, but I got to say, hats off to Daisuke. This is a truly great movie. I can understand a little bit based on Daisuke's background why he loves this movie, this infatuation with American culture in Asia. Uh, bravo. I, I was so impressed with this movie. It's even better than Yi Yi. And uh, it's uh, one of the best movies of 1991, a year that this movie was submitted to the Oscars and Mediterraneo won Best Foreign Film, the only movie that Roger Ebert ever walked out on. So it is a shame that this movie didn't get the recognition it deserved. Criterion came out with an amazing edition. This movie was really unavailable for a long time in the States, and uh, I cannot recommend it enough. Awesome. It, 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 you know, Todd and I both loved the Taiwanese movie A, a Son from last year. 
this movie has some definite parallels with his son, not just the fact that it's about gangs in, in uh, Taiwan, but there is a sort of uh, interest in that kind of familial element that is just uh, wonderful to watch. Well, and I mean, if you have a movie like that, that's an, also a Taiwanese movie, you got to think that it was it was influenced by by this one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it must have been. Yeah. Edward Yang died, I think, in 2007 or eight. He was one of the great auteurs of the new Taiwanese cinema in the 80s and 90s. And uh, his films, I think, hold up really well, you know, 10, 20 years later. Awesome. Taipei Story is also a good one. Awesome. Great. All right, let's move on. It is now time for our featured review. And our featured review this week is looking at a movie just came out in theaters this weekend that is featuring a director, a filmmaker that is always fascinating to talk about. And that is one M. Night Shyamalan. And we are talking about Old. What happened to her? The body has decomposed. How quickly can that happen? Seven years. But she just died. Wait, where are the kids? Trent! Kara! Come here! Hey, have you seen my children? Mom? I'm, I'm right here. His latest feature. I will talk about this one first. Um, so yeah, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, based on a graphic novel. And this movie talks about a group of people who uh, go on vacation. They go to this beach. And they've realized that they are all starting to rapidly age once they get to the beach. Uh, and they, they come up with the, it's about a half hour is one year is what they, they kind of figure out. And they, they're scrambling to try and find ways to stop it, ways to get out, ways to get off. And, uh, and how to, what's going on is, is there somebody, is there somebody watching them? They might, there's mysterious things happening on the cliffs around them. What is really going on on this beach? When it comes to M night Shyamalan movies, there are really like two things that, that, uh, that make or break his movies. One, do you accept the whole premise of the movie and does, does it work? And the second is, does the payoff land? Because all his movies kind of have a similar formula. They, they, they bring about this, this fascinating, weird thing. And do you accept the, the reality that you're given? And the payoff, the, the twist or whatever, does it land? It's a very simple one of, I'd say, one of the more simple concepts that he's had in his movies. There's people on a beach. They're getting old. It's pretty. It's a pretty simple concept. Um, I think the 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 payoff lands pretty well. It, I did not see it coming, and I thought it made sense. I thought it worked. I'm giving it three stars. Uh, and uh, his, his dialogue is sometimes unbearable, but you can get through it and you can understand it to get to get to the end. Uh, there's some great actors involved in this movie. You've got Gail Garcia Bernal, Vicky Creeps, Rufus Sewell, Alex Wolf, Thomas and McKenzie, um, Eliza Scanlon. Um, I mean, so some some recognizable faces um, that that do their thing. And I, I like this movie. I thought it had a. I thought the premise was simple. The payoff I didn't see coming, but it made sense and it worked. 
I mean, it's not it's not six cents or anything like that, but it it's it's a solid movie. It's a good three star movie. That's where I'm at with old. Zach, what about you? Yeah, I've always been a defender of M. Night Shyamalan. I actually think he's one of um, our auteurs at this point. There's recognizable stylistic flares with him, whether you like it or not. Um, I think he gets hindered by the fact that he is horrible at writing dialogue, as you mm-hmm. kind of alluded to, Terry. I mean, he's, he's like George Lucas. It, you got to throw out the dialogue. It just doesn't work. It's, it's almost like even Howard Hawks and Nicholas Ray, they weren't great with dialogue either. But from a cinematic standpoint, um, visually, this is a really well done movie, although it does feel as at times that it, he's being uh, strung by the fact uh, uh, that uh, it's a PG-13 movie, so he can't really show some of the uh, more graphic uh, aspects of the story. Um, this movie was interesting. I think the, the, the premise of this movie, um, had me very interested and I gotta say, um, I think the resolution and the explanation for this movie is actually pretty good. I I was not expecting it to quite be what it was. I mean, you could kind of get hints of it. Um, this is also kind of the only movie I can ever think of where it might have actually been better to watch this on HBO Max <laughs> instead of in a theater. In part because when you go, if you were to go into this movie with low expectations, it would probably be better than ha- going into this movie with high, ex- relatively high expectations like I had. Because I, I like Split. I think some of his movies are really good. Um, this movie didn't really deliver, though. I think that the problem with this movie is that it gets really muddled in the middle. Um, there are stretches of this movie that seem to go on for a really long time, and the characters kind of do things that are inexplicable. For example, they always say, let's stay together, and then they never stay together. There's also moments where uh, they, I mean, this is like, did, did Shyamalan watch, you know, the movie Cats? I mean, every single t- character in this movie introduces himself and their occupation like three times, okay? Let's get, let, let's move on from that a little bit. Um, it's also kind of unusual the fact that some of the characters seem to age really fast. Others of the characters don't age really fast. That's more of an issue, I think, with the makeup. And it's just a weird kind of concept. So I can understand that it would be a little hard to show that in the kind of uh, way that you'd like it to be shown, which leads me to my bigger criticism, which is that this probably should have been an animated movie or it should have been a French movie. Um, maybe it should have been the red turtle. Then I definitely would have given it four stars. Actually, there's a, this movie is almost like Benjamin Button meets the red turtle. Um, I like the resolution. If we want to go into spoilers, I can tell you something that I thought was really ridiculous about this movie, uh, but I can't quite give it thumbs up in spite of the fact that I think Thomas and McKenzie is a star. Uh, she's going to win an Oscar in the next 10 years. I would put money on the futures line for that. Um, she's amazing. I think Vicky Creeps is amazing. The rest of the actors, eh, so-so. Um, like I said, HBO Max, I'd probably give this movie three stars, um, but uh, it just, I, the, the horrible dialogue and the ridiculousness was just a little too much. So, so you're giving it two and a half? Then? Two and a half. Okay. And, and I will say, I will say M. Night Shyamalan always, he, he has way too much of a Hitchcock complex and, but he gives himself way too big of roles when he, when he has his little cameos. And that's, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have an issue with that. Yeah, it, this one was fine. That was this okay. one was fine. He's had he's given himself like major roles in other movies and yeah. All right, Todd, where are you at on this one? Uh, I don't like M Night Shyamalan at all. I think he has real issues. <laughs> I I don't think I'm overstating when I say he's obviously the worst director ever nominated for best director at the Oscars. Oh but, come on! 
He's like he's more concerned with like making sure that there's this giant fake mole on the children's face so it matches what Alex Wolf's face looks like than he is to actually making the movie make any sense. Like and there's like this really long, slow buildup, and that's okay, but it doesn't really build up too much of anything. I and the actors are all awful, like absolutely atrocious. Like, I mean, somehow Shyamalan is able to make these great actors act like they don't care. And like, I mean, like it was like the happening in, in a way. Like I mean, I actually kind of like Phantom Thread a little less because Vicky Creeps is awful in this movie. Rufus Sewell is terrible. Thomas and Mackenzie is wooden and excruciating to watch oh. in this. She clearly is only in this movie to make everyone know that she's an adult now. Like, I'm going to wear a really skimpy outfit so that I could be the, the romantic lead in a movie at some point, And I'm no longer the girl from Jojo Rabbit or whatever. Alex Wolf is painful to watch. Like, I mean, that's clearly the role that Shyamalan wanted to play. He even looks like Shyamalan. Um, GGB is disinterested. And don't even get me started. That Nikki, Amuda, Bird, and uh, Ken Leung, those are two of the worst performances I've ever seen. As that, that couple, like the, I don't know what the lady did, some sort of psychiatrist or something, and he was a, a nurse. It was like they were awful. Like, I mean, I, I, it was almost like, are they robots? Is that, is that what the, the, the secret is in this movie? Are, are they robots? Um, and plus, Shyamalan, like, what's with the camera? Like, he, he is like cutting and focusing, like, out of focus for no reason. Like, uh, there was a, a shot where it was like kind of focusing on like the water and, but the people in the shot were all out of focus. I was like, what the hell is he doing? Like nothing really worked. It was like watching Bohemian Rhapsody and like how bad the decisions were and like, and how amateurish the movie was being shot. And then, yeah, the dialogue's awful. Like there was one part where he's like, or they're like, the dog has died. And then Rufus Sewell's like, but it was only just alive. I'm like, yeah, that's worse, dumbass. (laughs) Like nice screenplay. I'm not really like, I think the movie it, it could have been cool if it leaned into the like the bizarreness more like like Zach said it should have been French it should have been Alexander Aja or something or like maybe even mm-hmm. Eli Roth like because there's some really like demented ideas that this movie has and if it would have leaned in toward like the gore aspect more it would have been pretty cool and I did not like the ending and how over explained it was it was like yeah sorry to borrow the you meets like the lovely bones yeah. but then it was like directed by Oliver Stone like we're gonna tell you exactly every beat of what this movie is about. And I don't know. I mean, Shyamalan didn't come up with the idea, which is probably why the idea of the movie is actually kind of cool. But there, there are some, there are a few things that I'll remember from this movie. But this movie is a piece of shit. It's one star. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, first, I, I think you might be the first person ever to say GGB in turn in uh, reference yeah. to Gail Garcia Bernal. But uh, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. So I, it, some of what you said, I agree with, but you, you kind of expect a level of that going into a Shyamalan movie and it's how much, like, like I said, you, you know, the, the dialogue is going to be somewhat wooden and it almost, it almost, uh, and the, the performances are going to be all, they've all kind of been similar in all of his movies, but they almost bring about this uh this atmosphere this environment of of um otherworldly that he has in his movies because there is this this almost non-human dialogue and these robot performances and and it either works or it doesn't and i think here it works um and i don't know i 
the the payoff is over explained. However, I think I think it works. I think it works. Yeah, my and, favorite. Oh, go and I, and I'm gonna say uh, you should at least bump it up to one and a half stars simply because the mid-sized sedan is a great name for a rapper. Damn it, Terry, <laughs> you stole my point. I was gonna say <laughs> any movie with a character named Mid-sized Sedan, I think, merits some sort of praise and the balls of that screenwriter to write a movie with a character that goes by that name. But I also have to say, I mean, I think this is a really good concept for a movie. I think uh, the over-explaining, you're just talking about one 30-second part of the movie. I was going to give this movie thumbs up. I really was until the last 10 minutes. And I guess I'll try to be a little bit, uh, you know, not fully going. We want to just say, all right, hold on, hold on. We're just going to say it. Spoiler alert. Here starts our spoiler review. I was ready to give this movie three stars. I think Todd's review is ridiculous, although I do agree with him about the dialogue. Uh, other than that, I completely disagree with everything he says, uh, particularly about Thomas and McKenzie. That's just cool. Oh, she was all, she was the oh, worst God. part of the movie. She's like, amazing. She's really good in this movie. I even <laughs> Loki have her nominated for Best Actress this year so far. Anyway, um, okay, so I mean, I'm going to defend Thomas and McKenzie in every movie. Okay, the problem that I have: how did they get from point A to point B at the end of this movie? That is never explained. <laughs> and the thing is, like. I kind of like how the ending doesn't really say it doesn't. I was expecting the ending to be about how the beach is the way it is. It is not about that. And I, I kind of find that refreshing. It's more about why they're there. So if it's not about why the beach is the way it is, it should be about how they escape the beach. And they never show that. Like that. I, I, I was stunned that that was a gaping omission in this story had Knight done something to show from point A to point B, this movie would be getting thumbs up. But I they cannot. Showed they showed them escape. How? How no, did it, they it get showed from them po- get to the coral? It didn't and show the, how they got from the coral exactly. back to the resort. I was expecting like a Truman <laughs> Show type and like maybe they open a door or something. No, nothing. Just well, no They were in the middle of the water. All they had to do was swim to shore. They couldn't have been that far away. No, I back mean, to maybe. the shore. They but had to go around the cove. That was a long way out, away. out of that beach. Out of and that how would they coming. get, even if they swam back to the shore, how would they get to the resort? They had to take a van there. I don't know. It just, that it's to me, <laughs> that to me, yeah, that to me was, was like Monday morning. Off morning limits sh- environmental. Dog story. Like, Knight needed to uh, get the details right there. But anyway, going back to Todd's point, I think you're being way too hard on this movie, Todd. Although I agree. Todd, can you at least admit that, like, Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele could have made this a great movie. The concept, even the explanation, I think, is a really interesting approach. It's just M. Night should not write dialogue. And you shouldn't direct it. Like this should, like I said, no, I it thought the be... direction was okay. And are you talking about the blurred screens? Because one of the characters loses their vision. Is that what you're talking about? No. Well, and then there was then there's the the one where they're all out of focus because they they're in between the 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 child age of the kids and the teenage of the kids, and they didn't want to show that because they didn't want to have like a, a six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen year old right. version of every kid. For every shot, so they just blurred him out for that one scene, and then all of a sudden, oh look, it's Thomas and Mackenzie and Alex Wolf. Thomas and Mackenzie was in there before he was. True, true, true. And yeah, there were there was another kid in there. Um, I will say, I on uh, on Twitter, it's kind of become a thing this weekend to uh, to 
post like three pictures. It would be post one picture and then post a picture of the beach from this and then post another picture. So like like um like Kate Winslet in Titanic, the beach, and then Gloria Stewart in Titanic. And it's like the beach turns so and so into what? I, I that's been a, a fun a fun uh, exercise that's been popping up on Twitter. Uh, and the other thing that I saw on Twitter that I thought was really interesting is Eliza Scanlon is basically turning into the female version of Sean Bean in that she dies in every movie. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even realize that was her. Like I, I thought it was I was like I thought it was like Allison Pill. And yeah, it looked like, like if Allison yeah. Pill if, if this movie was made twenty years ago, yeah, it's twenty years ago, Allison Pill. <laughs> I think my favorite line in the movie is when the little boy says, let's grow up and be friends together and pay mortgages. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful dialogue. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would agree that this movie would have been better in someone else's hands, but I don't know. There's, there's a level of, uh, there's a level of appreciation I have for Shyamalan. And that's why I gave it. I gave it well, the only Shamla movie I've given thumbs up to is Unbreakable. I think everything else is garbage. So uh, I Six Sense, well, Six Sense is a classic. Uh, but I loved Split. No. Uh I, I will be I think I might be the only person ever that will defend Lady in the Water. Um Oh, yeah, that was bad. I, I yeah. liked Lady in the Water. I um, saw it wasn't signs, it wasn't great in any way, but I saw Signs opening day and thought it was amazing. Love signs it. ain't bad. Signs ain't bad. I hate signs in the village and Sixth Sense. I can't stay awake during. It's just vapid and awful. And like I, I don't know, Split. I guess is okay. The happening is similar to this, <laughs> I guess. But I mean, I haven't watchable. seen the village. I haven't seen the happening. The happening is a good movie. I gave that thumbs up. But again, it, the dialogue is laughably bad. But if you can get past and the it, actors, don't the actors are cried. bad too. But, and that's the same as this. Like they don't. They're just like there. Like it. It could have been anybody reading these words. It's true. Yeah. It's true. But M Night Shyamalan is like the less miles of film directors. It's like, how are you actually a football coach who's been successful sometimes, <laughs> but he has a track record somewhat inexplicably. So kudos to him. All right. Well, this is in theaters right now. It's it's one that is only in theaters. Uh, I give it three stars. Zach gives it two and a half. Todd gives it one. I definitely went in the wrong order there. I was trying to decide which one of you was going to hate it more. I, I picked the wrong one. So uh, I should have known it was Shyamalan. Todd was going to hate it. Anyways, it's in theaters. If you want to check it out, if you haven't done so already, I heard that it was it was barely beating out Snake Eyes for uh, for the box office crown this week. So uh, so make sure you check this one out. Old in theaters now. All right. Time to move on. It is time for our spotlight segment. And for this, we are doing a Mount Rushmore. And this is in honor of old, which takes place almost entirely on a beach. We are doing a Mount Rushmore of beach movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea, Zach. The, this, the, this list was a beach for sure. Um, so yeah, like super fun beach day, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's see what we got here. We're each going to submit one. I don't think we have any consensus, so we'll figure that out at the end. Um, Todd, you're first. 
give us uh, give us your submission for Mount Rushmore of uh, your your beach Mount Mount Rushmore. I mean, the only thing I could think of that was good was the Descendants, uh, which I mean, it's in Hawaii. I guess I I think any Hawaii movie probably counts, right? <laughs> and so yeah, the Descendants is a great movie. Alexander Payne and uh, well, basically the whole thing's on a beach. So it's a good call. I don't really remember that many scenes on the beach. I remember scenes in like the city and then some nature and then there's a swimming pool, but are there beach scenes in that? Yeah, like well they the the what's his name? The Matthew Lillard character lives on the beach. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean I don't know. There there aren't any scenes movies that take place entirely on the beach. Other than old and old. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right uh i think uh i'm gonna go next uh the one that i that i thought of is probably um my favorite rom-com that takes place partially on the beach it's another one in hawaii forgetting sarah marshall has to be Classic. on this list i mean it, it's uh, of all this might be i mean of all the like Apatow crew rom-coms of the mid to late two thousands and everything. I mean, four year virgin and knocked up are, are pretty classic, but forgetting Sarah Marshall might be my favorite of that whole group of movies that came. Like there was like a five to 10 year period where that crew was coming out with R rated rom-coms and they were all hysterical. Forgetting Sarah Marshall might be my favorite partially because I, I just love it was written by Jason Siegel and I think his comedy is hilarious. So, that's my pick. Zach, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I love the song Inside of You by Infant Sorrow, which actually plays, I believe it's performed by All the, or all the Snow. And, yeah, All the Snow. And then it's performed by Infant Sorrow at the, at the, over the end credits, like an actual <laughs> studio version of it, which is yeah, great. Yeah. I actually have that song on my phone. I, I really enjoy it. Um, okay, so do I go pretentious or do I go populist? You guys tell me. What do you think? First, I, I just have to say, I think I think somewhere I have saved uh, not inside of you, but you got to do something, which was the other yeah. Infant Sorrow song from the movie. And don't forget, die, die, I can't. The, the exactly. Dracula song. Dracula which, musical uh, with yeah. puppets. It it was like something that John Cusack should have written in Being John Malkovich. It it's amazing. I don't know. That that's yeah. I think that whole thing is cheapened by the awful like spinoff. Like I mean, I yeah, the never spinoff saw was it. pretty horrible, but. Never saw it. I, I, I just Greek? ignore that that exists. Yeah. Okay. Just ignore it. All right, Zach, what's your submission? I'm going to go I, populist because there's no way you guys have seen my pretentious ones. So uh, I'm going to go Castaway. Oh, yeah. yeah. On an island with some nice FedEx product placement. And uh, listen, I mean, I, I know we've talked about this movie. I like this movie more than you guys do. It may make an appearance on my top 100. I love this we'll movie. See. Well, it's it's by William Broyles Jr. Uh, I've heard that it puts you guys to sleep. Maybe it just puts Todd to sleep. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind I of the running we'll... joke with our family, or at least with Todd and I. I want to go to sleep, but on Castaway. I think this movie's a masterpiece, and actually, it's kind of interesting to talk about this movie right after talking about old because I think some of the dialogue in this movie. Zemeckis is also a director, kind of like Shyamalan, in the sense that some of his direct, some of his dialogue and some of his acting can be just a bit over the top, like. For example, a certain movie with Denzel Washington. Um, but uh, Castaway has some clunky moments, but that 90-minute stretch of Tom Hanks on the beach 
which by the way, I would, I would say there's more beach time in this movie than either of the two movies that you guys have nominated is phenomenal. Fine. It's uh, <laughs> Tom Hanks should have won. Uh, he's way better than Russell Crowe. Uh, it's an amazing movie that I think holds up really well. And even the parts that are bookended that the beginning and the end, they're actually, I think not as bad as people remember them in the sense that I think it shows this kind of chronology and this uh, evolution of this character, which is kind of unique. And um, yeah, I, you know, I can't think of another actor who you could put on the screen for 90 minutes with no dialogue, no other characters, no different settings, no music and get away with it. Um, other than, of course, our our actor who we're talking about in our power rankings and Casey Affleck, but they don't count. Tom Hanks in this movie is well, extraordinary. Will Smith and, and I Am Legend movie. is the same thing, though. Yeah, but that had that's some that had some flashbacks. It had some zombies in it. This has none of those. This has a volleyball. That's it. Well, it's like having a dog with I Am Legend, but I don't know. I always thought they were similar. Somewhat similar, but so, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. No, so yeah, this movie I love the I love this movie as well. Um, this was a a family trip to the theater. Those happen very rarely in our house, maybe once a year. This was a family trip to the theater. I think mainly because of FedEx. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like legit, like I remember my dad telling telling us that because he worked for FedEx, he could put in an application to become an extra in uh in memphis for the welcome party back like they just put an, an open invite out to whoever works at fedex you can be a part of the the crowd scene when he gets when he gets back but um but yeah i i it's a great movie tom hanks is amazing in it i mean we could never deep dive this movie but <laughs> i kind of want to <laughs> it's an amazing I mean, movie the stick man is obviously dr james spaulding Yes, played by Mr. Big. Oh, yes. wait, no, wait, no, that's not James. Yeah, Paul. yeah. Is it? Yeah. That's a part of the movie I've never, well, okay, that we'll, we'll leave that for a deep dive, maybe in, in, in 2030. <laughs> Once again, you only watch half the movie, but it's one of your favorites. <laughs> that's not true. I think Spaulding, is that the dentist that she marries? I thought yeah. he was an associate of Jim Spaulding. Jim Spaulding recommended you or something. No, 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 that's, no. Nah. I think you're wrong. I I would bet you. Uh, I will bet you that it is not. It is not James Spaulding. He is an. He's a a, a, a acquaintance of Jim Spaulding. Anyway, no, we've lost the audience. Okay, what's our consensus pick? All right. Uh, I, I'm gonna put out there that our consensus should be Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, I wrote that's, that down. That's too. a good one. Okay, I like that one. That's good. The other ones I thought of. I mean, there's some trashy ones that are all on beaches, like Police Academy Five, Into the Blue, Blue Crush. Uh, the Big Bounce. Remember that movie, Terry? Oh, gosh. The Big Bounce. Wow. And then, I, I, I mean, Us, in a way. I mean, a lot of it's on the beach. Oh, I and, thought about that one, too. And From Here to Eternity, you could say another Hawaii oh, movie. Yeah. yeah the only other one I was thinking of I, was uh, Jaws. Okay. You could, you yeah, say. That would work, too. Yeah. Yeah. By Fortunately, the way, I, on fire is a good, a good choice, though. That is a good choice. I win, Terry. Chris Noth plays a character named Jerry Lovett. Not Dr. Spaulding. What? Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree with Portrait of Lady on Fire. That's actually a really good pick. The, the, my pretentious pick was the Eric Romare film, uh, Pauline at the Beach, which I love. Um, 
And uh, it's a talky movie all about these French people who, you know, have affairs with each other and uh, I, a girl who kind of follows them. It's a really good movie. I haven't seen it in about 20 years, uh, so I wasn't prepared to talk about it, really, but it's a good movie. Gene had it on his best of 83 list, interestingly enough. There you go. I was also thinking, I mean, if we're talking beach movies, someone should bring up the, the old 60s. Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello movies. I've never seen any of them, I but I mean that. Yeah, but the, I mean that when you think I, honestly, when I think beach movies, I think like aren't they called like Beach Party and like Beach Party Two or something like that? But it's, I mean that that's like that's what like started a lot of that stuff, and they became classic hits because of it. So I don't know. Anyways, so that's our list. We've got. Uh, Descendants, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Castaway, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Julio. Power rankings time. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Todd. <laughs> you, you, you... This should just be the Todd picks the the segment, segment. But yeah. <laughs> so what are we doing this time? Since you won again. Uh, again. So mean to president again. There's a movie again. coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas McCarthy movie Stillwater, starring Matt Damon. And when I first read the synopsis, I was like, Oh, this could be like the finally the Oscar comeback for Alec uh, Breslin. And it's obviously it's not now. Like Matt Damon is the one that got the standing ovation at Cannes, not not Avigail Breslin. But it, I just thought when I think of that movie, that's what I'm going to think of. I was like, this is the movie I'm supposed to be impressed with Avigail Breslin in. And so I decided to make this power rankings the best performances by people who are in a movie with Matt Damon, because usually when Matt Damon's in a movie, it's a Matt Damon movie, and there's like very few times that his co-stars ever get singled out for anything. But I mean, we can't use Goodwill Hunting because obviously Robin Williams is number one on everybody's list and should be. But so other than that, anything Matt Damon's in, we need to find the best performances by his co-stars. Best performances by co-stars of Matt Damon. By the way, I'm going to be really disappointed if Matt Damon is not from Troy, Michigan in uh, in Stillwater. <laughs> right? <laughs> Stillwater! Anyways. Uh, <laughs> I digress. Okay. So, best performances by co-stars of Matt Damon. Uh, this is this is such a random list. However, this was a whole lot of fun to put together too. Uh, I'm I, I'm excited for this one. Okay, we're gonna go Zach first. So this is the first power rankings that I'm more excited to see our predictions of Adam's list because I want to see how Todd nails Adam's list. That actually will be exciting to see because he will uh okay so uh matt damon i you know doing some research for this list um looking at his imdb credits i realized i don't like matt damon very much i mean i there are a whole <laughs> lot of shit out there especially in the last like 10 years i mean a lot of movies that i just didn't want to see a lot of movies that were pre pretty awful um all movies i thought were overrated so it was this was a challenging list. I don't know if I would necessarily call it a fun list. So uh, we're going to get the gimmick pick out of the way here at number five. Um, Todd, Todd did not specify whether it had to be a movie or not, thankfully, because my number five pick comes from now. Listen, Matt Damon's made some shitty movies the last 10 years, a lot of shitty movies. So instead, I, I'm thinking instead of choosing like Elysium, 
right? Or Unsane or Ford v. Ferrari. Why not pick a movie that people have actually seen, even if it's not a movie, something that maybe has 25 million hits on YouTube? You know it. You love it. <laughs> it is Sarah Silverman in the sketch, I'm effing Matt Damon. I mean, right. listen, we've talked about Sarah Silverman on this podcast before. Uh, she wins, you know, biggest douche, whatever, in School of Rock. I don't think any of us are real big fans of her. She was in that cool Canadian movie with Seth Rogen. But other than that, um, she is not really a fun person to listen to or watch. She's amazing in I'm effing Matt Damon. Like, she sings the <laughs> chorus really well. She, it's not all about her, which is nice. It's a first in Sarah Silverman's oeuvre. Um, so uh, my favorite line from I'm effing Matt Damon is the line that says on a bed in a f on the floor on a towel by the door in the tub in the car up against the mini bar, which I believe Matt actually sings. And then I love how it breaks into this like Gwen Stefani, like, um, you know, uh, 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 the, that song that she sings and that's like a dueling gang type thing. It's an amazing six minutes of YouTube glory from the late 2000s. So uh, absolutely Sarah Silverman, my number five. I also love the response to it where where Jimmy Kimmel sings about how he's effing Ben Affleck. That Yeah, uh, it's, it's the Godfather 2 to the Godfather that this movie is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a that's such an amazing pick. That that really is. Uh okay. Um man, I can't I I I have I'm going to follow that. Okay. My number 5 I'm probably the only one that's going to mention this movie, but that's okay. I love this movie. I am going uh, with Will Smith as the titular Bagger Vance in The Legend of Bagger Vance. Uh, this movie, I feel, I've always loved this movie because I feel like it knows more about golf than any other movie about golf. And you have Ben Affleck at the, at the or not Ben Affleck, yeah, Matt Damon at the center of this as uh, Randolph Juna. And it's a story about he's a war hero. He comes back and he plays this golf tournament against Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen. Uh, and it's, it's just such a beautiful movie. It's so simple. And like I said, it understands golf. You have Jack lemon as a narrator. And I think his final film role, um, it's, it's just great. And Will Smith plays this mystical bagger Vance, this caddy who comes along and, and finds Matt Damon uh, when he is at his lowest and helps build him back up and bring him back to being this, this amazing golfer that he's always been helps him find his, find his zone. And uh, he ends up, I think he ends up winning. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how it ends, but it, it's, it's one of those where it's kind of, it, no, he lose. I think he loses because no, he ties. That's what it is. He ties because the golf rules are the golf rules. And, and you have to call yourself out on, on penalties and things like that. And because of that, he ends up tying instead of winning against two of the greatest golfers of the time. Uh, Charlize Theron is in it as well in kind of a, I mean, this is, it, and her role in this is very similar to like her role in like Cider House Rules, where she's just kind of the girl that's there. She organizes the whole thing. But uh, Will Smith is amazing in this. And uh, it's an amazing movie uh, about golf. And so I had to talk about the golf movie so will smith legend of beggar vance that would be a fun power rankings is golf movies would this rank in, in your top five the, oh this would, if we're talking like movies that actually like no golf this is like one or two wow 
The greatest game ever played is pretty good. You know, I actually haven't seen that one yet. Talk about Shia LaBeouf movies there, too. So, yeah, I need to watch that one at some point. All right, Todd, number five. Uh, my number five is Michael Douglas in Behind the Candelabra, which uh-huh. is a movie that evidently Mark Maron's a big fan of. Like, on his podcast recently, he said it was... He told Soderbergh that he'd seen it, like, five times, and Soderbergh basically laughed at him. But uh, it's a good movie. Like, Michael Douglas is... Uh, he plays Liberace, and Damon plays his co-lead as his lover, Scott Thorson. And this was really like a time when it was a really resurgent time for Michael Douglas. He had, he won an Emmy for this. And then he had like Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, got him a Golden Globe nomination. And then Solitary Man, I think is one of his five best performances. But this movie is like, he's impossible to take your eyes off of in this movie. He's amazing playing opposite Matt Damon. I could have chose Rob Lowe or Scott Bakula from this movie, but I said only one per movie. Uh, but yeah, Michael Douglas is the one. He, he's, uh, he's amazing in, in Behind the Candelabra. Good pick. Good pick. Actually, I haven't seen that movie, but um, I've heard great things. I've heard great things about it. Mark Maron loves it. I mean, hey. Zach, number four. Okay, my number four goes to uh, a uh, uh, an actor who I believe actually got uh, didn't he get nominated for an Oscar for this role? I think he did. I should look. I should have done some research on this. Um, it is Jude Law in the Talented Mr. Ripley. Todd, did he get a nomination for that? Yeah, for that? yeah, okay. he did. Okay, so uh, Jude Law is amazing in this movie. I think it is the first movie that I can remember ever seeing Jude Law in. I think this coupled with AI was basically who Jude Law was in the early 2000s, really introduced the world um, to, to the, the, the man, the myth, the legend, and uh, someone who Sean Penn was apparently in love with at that Oscar ceremony. Uh, but this is a great performance. And um, although I will admit, I haven't seen this movie in a while, but I remember um, what's interesting about this movie is Matt Damon is great in this movie. I think it is a top, probably a top three Matt Damon movie. Like he, in terms of his performance, he's awesome in this movie. I wish he would return more to movies like this that were edgy and sophisticated and polished. And yet Jude Law in the first hour of this movie has a magnetic kind of presence as Dickie, the spoiled playboy, wealthy uh, millionaire. His girlfriend is Gwyneth Paltrow. It's a perfect role for for that early two thousands Jude Law type persona, and uh, yeah, uh, he's great in it. Matt's da- great in it. It's a movie that Loki we should probably deep dive at some point. Although I don't think any of the three of us passionately love it. It's just a unique movie that for some reason, unfortunately, has been forgotten over time. So I remember really enjoying this movie at the time, and Jude Law is tremendous in it. Yeah, good call on that. I forgot about that that performance, but yeah, you're right. And I, I'm in a similar spot to you. It's a good movie. Very good movie. But I, yeah, it's kind of been forgotten and it's an, it's kind of an easily forgettable movie. I'm surprised you didn't mention uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. From that movie too. Yeah. Yeah. Philip Baker Hall, Celia Weston, James Rebhorn, some good, some good character actors in this movie. And the late, great Anthony Minghella. Yep. Absolutely. Shout All out right. to Pony. Number four on my Tony. list. He, he I think he Tony. was more. I think he was more Anthony. I remember Juliette Binoche called him Anthony in her acceptance speech. So maybe not. Maybe not like Tony Scott or Tony Hopkins. <laughs> uh, number four on my list is another uh, Oscar-nominated performance that was that co-starred with Matt Damon, and it was one of the most like n- no-brainer casting decisions. Like as soon as he was cast, you're like, okay, yeah, Morgan Freeman playing. Uh, 
playing Nelson Mandela is going to be amazing and it's going to win an Oscar. So Morgan Freeman and Invictus, or it didn't win an Oscar. It was nominated, but it, it was an amazing performance. It was, it's one of those moments where like role and actor were like, I've, it's rare that they're that perfect for each other. And Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela is one of those moments where um, he's Nelson Mandela just has been elected president. And one of the ways he brings the country together of South Africa is through uh, the, uh, the rugby team that is trying to win the, the world cup. And Matt Damon is the captain of that team and him putting his support behind this almost all white rugby team that is that is representing the country unites the country through sport and i i think especially with the olympics going on right now and and how the the olympics in can unite a, a country in in a way like that this is another great example of that so morgan freeman as nelson mandela in invictus that's my number four i like it it's one of those like almost on principle it's like yeah that was going to be amazing as soon as you heard it was happening, yeah, that's going to be awesome. And then directed by Clint. So, yeah. All right, Todd, number four. Uh, my number four, I know you guys are going to have, it's Angelina Jolie in The Good Shepherd. Because uh, nobody yeah. ever really talks about that movie, but even though it's like a really like professional, cold, fantastic thriller directed by De Niro. And I, I, I'm upset that he doesn't really direct anymore. With this in a Bronx tale, he obviously knows what he's doing. But it's a movie about like the dawn of the CIA and Damon plays Edward Wilson and Angel Jolie, who is at the like, height of her stardom, plays his wife. And uh, it's more of an understated performances uh, performance. A lot, basically, all the performances in the movie are sort of underplayed. But Jolie is amazing in her scenes with Matt Damon. She brings out like the most anguish and volatility from Damon in the, in, throughout, the, throughout the whole movie. And in another era, this would have been like an Oscar movie, but... And uh, I don't know. She probably would have been nominated. I would, I would imagine, if it was a different, uh, different time. But instead, it's kind of just a forgotten movie, which is unfortunate <laughs> because it has one of the best casts like ever assembled. But uh, yeah, but I love Angela Jolie and I love The Good Shepherd. I thought about considering something from The Good Shepherd, but I, I haven't seen it since we watched it in theaters, and I really don't remember much about the performances in it. I think Billy Crudup and William Hurt were the other standouts, but Angelina Jolie, like those scenes are ingrained in my head with her, her and Matt Damon. So. Nice. She was definitely effing Matt Damon in that movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe that's a, that's the next list. People who fulfill Sarah Silverman's role in that song. Yeah. Um, Zach, number three. Okay, number three, uh, kind of similar to my number four in the sense that it is uh, a co-star in a Matt Damon movie who was uh, launched to the world. This is also a movie that is questionable whether it's truly a Matt Damon movie because he's basically an extra. Not an extra, but he's like a very, very, very minor character who only has a couple lines. The movie is Matt Damon's first movie, Mystic Pizza, and the co-star in his uh, film debut was a young woman from the state of Georgia named Julia Roberts. And uh, in Mystic Pizza, she plays the character Daisy. Have either of you guys seen Mystic Pizza? I'm just going to open it up that way. Okay, Mystic Pizza, seriously underrated movie. I saw it about a year ago for the first time. I'll admit, I never grew up with it. My wife loved it. She grew up with it. 
but I, I gotta say, I went into it very reluctant, very cynical. It's actually a pretty good movie. And Julia Roberts is, uh, you can see she's electric in the movie. You can just tell. This is also one of those movies, a little bit like Days and Confused, where a lot of the actors um, were very young in their careers and went on to great things. Julia Roberts, Vincent D'Onofrio, Lily Taylor, Annabeth Gish. And of course, Matt Damon. But in uh, Mystic Pizza, she plays a character named Daisy, who is sisters uh, with Annabeth Gish. And they live in this uh, small town in Connecticut, and they work at Mystic Pizza. They're from a Portuguese-American family. And uh, uh, Annabeth Gish is the younger sister. She's the kind of protege. She wants to be, I think, some sort of scientist. Whereas the Julia Roberts character is kind of a little bit slutty. She gets around. She's got lots of guys. But uh, she does have a beau in this movie who's played by Adam Stork, and he is a rich guy. And toward the end of the movie, they go to uh, his, she finally meets his family. She's a little bit embarrassed. She doesn't really know how to present herself in front of these rich people. And lo and behold, her boyfriend's younger brother, I believe, is Matt Damon sitting at the dinner table. So I guess it's a little bit of a cheap pick. But uh, Julia Roberts is really amazing in that movie. I think it actually shows a lot of her versatility. You don't necessarily think of her as the kind of rough and rough rugged kind of like girl who gets around type um and uh she's really awesome in a movie that i think uh, you know even though you know it's certainly dated in some ways it actually is a pretty good movie that holds up pretty well it's it's charming i would recommend it probably more to terry than todd yeah it sounds it sounds like a little more of my movie than todd yeah, I think both of I would actually I would I would venture to say both of you would give a thumbs up. I think because Todd, Todd likes movies with with younger actors who became big, um, like Alpha Dog, and uh, I think he would I would I think he would acknowledge that that uh, greatness in that movie. Also, the Vincent D'Onofrio character and Lily Taylor, their names are Bill and Joe, which are also the names of Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, and Twister. So I had to like the movie just for that reason alone, <laughs> and they're dating, obviously. Obviously. All right. On to my number three. Speaking of a Terry movie, th this is the the stretching, uh, the most stretching I've done. I'll do of uh, of a Matt Damon movie because uh, he doesn't actually appear in the movie, but his voice does. He has a voiceover part. But it's one of my favorite, like guilty pleasure movies. Um, not necessarily guilty pleasure, just one that I will I will defend more than like anybody else, and that is the performance of Jim Carrey in The Majestic. Uh, this is yeah. the yeah yeah I love this movie, and I love Jim Carrey's performance in this. He plays a blacklisted screenwriter who um, who gets in a car accident and ends up like washed up on some small town with amnesia and bears a striking resemblance to a a world war ii vet that uh has never come home was mia in, during world war ii and he bears a striking resemblance to this guy who's from this town and he gets accepted into the town as this other guy and he thinks he is that other guy and matt damon plays the part of the uh, his name's I think uh, Luke Trimble. He plays the part of Luke's voice when he uh, when in his letters that he wrote home to his sweetheart. And but it's it, this movie is all Jim Carrey. And if if you think like Truman Show is showing the dramatic side of Jim Carrey, or if you think like Eternal Sunshine is showing his dramatic side, this is the most dramatic you will ever see Jim Carrey 
strip away all the goofiness, all the nonsense, all the craziness in the height of Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey. That's his performance in the majestic. And it is, it is a beautiful performance. And I have no idea why more people don't, don't love this movie and love this performance. Cause it's, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, directed by Frank Darabont, who did uh, some other movies of, with a similar tone to them, like Shawshank Redemption and green mile. This was his follow-up to those two Jim Carrey and the majestic. That's, that's, uh, that's my number three. Good, good performance. I have, great... I have no clue who Matt Damon was in that movie. No, no recollection. I should say of Matt Damon. Yeah, he he is like it. Just shows it has some scenes where he's just like writing listen, letters home. But yeah, I think he's the think voice the... of the guy he's he's supposed to be. Now listen, these last two picks by me and Terry are stretches. So is that saying <laughs> something about Matt Damon? Maybe I don't know. It's just honestly it's just for me, it's me. just saying something about Matt uh, about Jim Carrey in this movie that I wanted to mention it because it's amazing. Well, the, the whole point of the list is that if Matt Damon's in the movie, it's his movie and nobody else ever gets singled out. But I mean, if he has a cameo or whatever, I guess it still counts. But it is sort of de- defeating the purpose of the list. But you can't. did say you, know, you did guess, say it was allowed. Yeah, it, 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 I'm, I don't have a problem with it. Like, like if, if you said he had to like physically appear in the movie, then I wouldn't have put this on the list. But you didn't. You said the voiceover was allowed. So, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Todd, number three. My number three is Edward Norton in Rounders. Mm. Uh, I mean, Worm is one of the great characters. He was on my characters who deserve a spinoff list. And this is one of the reasons why, like, Ed Norton is, like, the best actor of his generation. Like, this character should not have been as likable as he is. He's, like, a schemer. He's a piece of shit. He does everything wrong for his buddy, Mike McDermott, which is played by Matt Damon, of course. And but we still root for him because he's a real character and he's fleshed out. And I, I don't know, like just the, the like the scene where they leave that one poker game and they're just like walking down the street and then they buy a hot dog. It just feels like two best friends like spouting about something. And Norton just oozes charisma. Every line is delivered with such, I don't know, with 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 an effort that should not be in that movie. I just feel like I mean he he makes the movie, and every. I don't know. Every role he had at the time, really, it just looked and felt different. And uh, this is one of his like high energy roles and like very high war because no, nobody nobody does it quite like Ed Norton. How difficult of a decision was it to pick Edward Norton over John Malkovich? Well, I mean, Norton was was the choice, but I mean, yeah, Malkovich and John Turturro. Like, there's a lot of great Martin Landau some great work in this. Judge. Yeah. Yeah. Martin Lando also in the Majestic. <laughs> not Gretchen Mole. No, yeah, yeah, I mean, probably, probably not Gretchen. Mole. Sam K. Johnson. Yeah, they're okay. I'm so All upset. Right. Neither of you had Ed Norton on the list. That's that's yeah. I I consider. I I actually thought of Malkovich before I thought of Edward Norton, and honestly, I thought of it after I'd already made my list, but I didn't want to kick anybody out of my list, so I yeah. I, I left it. Well, I'm glad I'm going next because my pick for number two is John Malkovich as Teddy KGB. There we go. The thing is, I mean, I know it's a flashier performance. And I know that sometimes when we do these lists, especially when it comes to performances, we, you know, we, we, we try to emphasize like more subtle acting. 
forget the accent for a second. Like, forget that he nails the accent and is perfect at it. He is so menacing in that movie. And the way that he eats those Oreo cookies and then talks about flashing the pot and talks about how, you know, he's using the money that uh, he lost. Uh, it's extraordinary. I can't think of another actor that could play K Teddy KGB in that way. He's a great villain who's also hilarious. Maybe James Woods. I don't know. That's the only other actor that I think could even re remotely possess that sort of persona. And uh, I think he's the one that makes the movie. Ed Norton, I mean, he's fine, but I think he's somewhat replaceable to, to a certain extent. Um, but Teddy KGB brings a bit of like, I don't know, like ferociousness and menace to the movie that I think really, one of the issues that I've always had with Rounders is that it doesn't seem serious enough. It doesn't seem like the, 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 the straights are that dire at a certain level. I know Todd loves the movie. I mean, I really love the movie too, but if I were to peg a flaw in it, it's that it doesn't seem like it's a life or death situation throughout some parts of the movie. Teddy KGB brings that, and that is all Malkovich, and he is menacing the movie, and he is just terrific. So I, re I respect the Edward Norton pick. It's maybe it maybe arguably is a difficult, a more difficult role, but uh, Teddy uh, Malkovich is amazing in that. He's definitely better in Rounders than he was in Transformers: Dark of the Moon. I would hope so. Same, same with Francis McDormand. Uh, yes, yes, yes. All right. Number two on my list. Uh, look, I, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll regret having him only number two. I'm going with Leonardo DiCaprio and The Departed. That's my number two. That's your number two as well. Okay, so we're, we'll, we'll both talk about him. Um, I mean, The Departed, uh, the hard part wasn't, what was more which one you were you going to go with from from the departed were you going to go with leo were you going to go with jack nicholson were you going to go with mark Wahlberg? uh we've talked a lot about the departed we did a deep dive of it earlier this year uh but when it came down to it leo's just so damn good in this movie and and the the intensity and the the struggle he has and being this this undercover cop it, and then the, his interactions, the best moments of the entire movie are his interactions with Matt Damon, whether it's it's on the phone where nobody's talking or it's um, it's the interaction where they he's coming out of being undercover or him on the rooftop. I mean, those are the best moments of the movie. And Leo's brilliant in it. And the fact that it's someone like that, someone that he's he just makes that part and matt damon is also perfect for his part as well and the the those main like four that i mentioned dicaprio damon Wahlberg, and nicholson are so perfectly cast it's it's just awesome yeah i i stand by this as being leo's best performance that he's ever given and you know like we like you said with the the, the scenes with matt damon it's like when De Niro and Pacino first meet in heat or something like there's that level of like intrigue and tension because it's been building up to that for the whole movie. And I mean, yeah, Damon's doing his thing, but like Leo, he kicks more ass in this than he has in any other movie. And it was just that breakout role of like, he's now a movie star. He's not just the awards actor. He's not just the heartthrob. Like, he is an actor. Like he's a movie star now. And I can't imagine being more impressed with any role that he has than I was when I first saw this. I was like, damn, Leo killed it in that movie. You know, you know, I always thought of him more as a Streisand, but... I don't think he's rocking the shit in this one. Yeah. All right, so there's our number twos. We're moving on to number one. Zach. 
I went with Mark Wahlberg in The Departed. Uh, <laughs> nice. I I mean I we I, I know we talked about this on the on the deep dive. I love Leo in that movie. Originally, I kind of felt the same way that you guys did, but actually, it's sort of interesting. After we deep dove it and watched it again, I kind of thought. Leo sort of has done this in every movie to some degree after The Departed. It's just sort of who he is. I'm actually more impressed with his performance in The Aviator. Um, of course, it's a great performance, but I think Matt Damon's arguably more impressive in the movie because it's a more challenging role because you see multiple facets of that character. So I didn't really want to go with Leo. I went with Mark Wahlberg because uh, he just delivers in that movie. I mean, he, he is coming off the bench. He is draining some threes. Uh, but uh, he's amazing in it, and um, yeah, I mean, I, you'd have to go with someone from this movie. I wasn't going to go with Jack. I certainly wasn't going to go with Vera Farmiga or, um, you know, the villain in Black Widow, Ray Winstone, but uh, <laughs> Mark Wahlberg is fantastic in it, and I don't know. I kind of think it's it's Matt Damon's best performance, so I sort of wanted to go with that movie, and Mark Wahlberg is, I, everyone's rating it. I just, you know, you got to be a little different. Change things up a little bit. I, I yeah, I love Mark Wahlberg in that movie. I love. He's the, one, him he's the only one that got the Oscar nomination. Let's let's it's get true. Real. It's that, true. Yeah, because that Oscars was so you know. <laughs> well, I think now we've mentioned all of the nominated performances in Matt Damon movies that nope. are Matt Damon. Nope. Because oh. my number one is another one. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Shit just uh, got and, real. Impossibly, impossibly, and there's actually two from this movie. And possibly Matt Damon's most uh, cartoonish uh, and uh, role that he's oh, ever had because, because he's giving an impression of somebody else. My number one is Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. Oh, oh. thank God. I thought you were going to go with The Martian. No, no, no. Well, Haley Steinfeld was nominated in, the, in The Martian. What? Now, no one was nominated That's in The Martian true. besides Matt Damon. But Haley Steinfeld and Jeff Bridges were nominated for True Grit. Good and pick. Haley Steinfeld is by far the best part of this movie. And She's become a big thing now, and she's a singer now, and she's done some some more some bigger movies and some things like that. She's about to enter the MCU, uh, but this was her coming out party. This was where everyone realized who she was, and it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be this movie about about Jeff Bridges, his follow up to his Oscar win for Crazy Heart, and and you have Matt Damon doing his best Matthew McConaughey impression. I mean, he literally goes. I'm a Texas Ranger. I mean, it's it, he's doing his Matthew McConaughey impression. Um, Josh Brolin, you could easily say, deserves to be mentioned here too. But Haley Steinfeld steals a show. And she was what, like 12, 13, 14 when this movie was made? But she is the focal point of the movie. She's the best part of the movie. And she, it, the most surprising performance of, any perform, of anybody that co-starred with Matt Damon is Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. And uh, when I maybe Leo did deserve to be one, but Haley Steinfeld was just outstanding in this movie. And it, it makes it a great movie. Her performance makes it a great movie. So that's my number one. That's a good one. And obviously one you completely forgot about. Well, sort of. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I just spaced on the Oscar nominations. Yeah. 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 All right, Todd, what's your number one? Uh, my number one is from a movie that has now been on as many lists of mine as Pulp Fiction. It is Anna Paquin and Margaret. It's uh, 
It was on my three-hour movie list, uh, the Oscar snubs of the 2000s, my top ten of the decade, worst performances and four-star movies, not for this performance, and uh, best final achievements. It's the obvious number one, Anna Paquin. It gives one of the best performances of the 21st century. She plays Lisa, who is a high school girl in New York who witnesses a bus run over a lady and feels guilty about it, and then it follows her and shows the impact that it had on her and everyone around her. Matt Damon plays her teacher, who she sort of has like a affair with, kind of. Uh, but he's not obviously not the star of the movie. He only has a handful of scenes, and he still has his like born identity haircut. But um, Anna Paquin is just legendary in the range of emotions she has in the movie, and it, she really kind of brings out the best in all the other actors. And it would be a mini series if it was made today because it really is like a short three hours. It, pro- it could have expanded way longer than that. It probably should be, but it's still an uh, amazing movie. And she was always going to be number one. It's one of the three best movies Matt Damon's ever been in, even though he's not necessarily that great in it. It's uh, it's all in a pack one. I disagree, Gary. Disagree. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I knew that was going to be up there for sure. All right. Let's uh let's do some honorable mentions here. Zach, what do you got? So my honorable mentions uh, were the worst co-star performances of Matt Damon, which I think <laughs> would have been a much more interesting list to do. Um, so I went with, uh, let's see, we have Hong Chow and Downsizing, the worst movie of the last five years, barely beating out Space Jam 2. Uh, Jody Oscar nominated. Like, she was snubbed for that Oscar. Jodie Foster in Elysium, Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar, The Computer in Interstellar. I don't remember what it was called. TARS in Interstellar, uh, Oscar Isaac in Suburbicon, Bill Murray in Monuments Men, which I haven't seen, uh, Scarlett Johansson in We Bought a Zoo, Christian Bale in Ford v. Ferrari. Someone stop me. These, uh, I'm, I'm done. Okay. All right. You get the idea. I get the idea. Actually, yeah. Christian Bale in Ford v. Ferrari was on my honorable mention because I think he's actually halfway decent in that movie. Okay, he he's not bad. Person. It's just a bad movie. It's it's really these movies that yeah, are just yeah. terrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Zach has trouble differentiating between movie and performance. We've learned that. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so uh, my honorable mentions, yeah, Christian Bale, Ford v. Ferrari I have on there, Casey Affleck and, and Jerry. Um, one thing I thought was really funny, so as I was watching Transformers Dark of the Moon, there's this scene... So there's this whole thing where they're like stuck in this building that's starting to fall over and like the top half of it is leaning and and like it's this whole thing of how are they going to get out of this building and then and then they got start getting attacked by a transformer or by one of the Decepticons and and then the Decepticon is killed. Yay. But they're still in the leaning building but the next scene they're all on the ground and they're running away. It's like wait the, the intriguing part was going to be how they got out of the building. And all I could think of is, you know, in Jerry, they spent 15 minutes talking about how they were going to get off a rock. And in this, they can't even spend five seconds saying how they got out of a falling building. Anyways, that that's yeah. That. Awesome. <laughs> um, Claire Foy and Unsane. I mean, Matt Damon's barely in that, but her performance, that's amazing. Uh, another one he's barely in Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool two. He he plays a, he has a little cameo as a as a trailer trash guy in there. Another cameo performance of his that has a an amazing performance in it. Sam Rockwell, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Um, and then I'll just mention a couple more. 
uh, Denzel Washington and Courage Under Fire. Yeah, I thought about that uh, one. That's yeah, a good call. I, I wanted to put that on the list. Lou but, Diamond Phillips in that movie, also really good. But see, I think the best performance in that might be Matt Damon. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to throw it on there. And uh, one last thing I'll mention that's already been mentioned, a performance that's already been mentioned, I mean, kind of, is the Tsunami in Hereafter. Nice. Oscar-nominated Tsunami. An Oscar-nominated Tsunami in Hereafter, yeah. All right, Todd, what's your honorable mention? Uh, so I already also had Denzel Washington, Courage Under Fire, Cecile de France in Hereafter, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit, Hal Holbrook in Promised Land, he was like the only good part of that movie. Amanda Peet in Syriana. I thought she was the best part of that movie. Casey Affleck and Jerry. Barry Pepper in Saving Private Ryan. And if I was going with this cameos uh, stuff, I would I have Sean Connery in Finding Forrester, Benicio Del Toro in Che Part 2, Sam Rockwell in Confesses of a Dangerous Mind, Joey Lauren Adams in Chasing Amy, and Tim Roth in Youth Without Youth, which is probably the most forgotten movie of <laughs> the last 20 years. I, I've seen it. I actually own it. I remember nothing about it. That wasn't that wasn't that a Coppola movie? Yeah, Coppola. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I realized about uh, about Matt Damon uh, in studying for this one is his character's name in Dogma, which I have not seen yet. I haven't seen Dogma, but do you know what his character's name is in Dogma? Loki, right? Loki. Loki. Yeah. Which is probably why he is the one as, as the actor Loki in Thor Ragnarok. And apparently he uh, he's going to appear again in Thor Love and Thunder. I really wanted to put Dogma on my list. I couldn't I wanted to pick a role from that because actually I think there that movie has some really great like one scene performances like Chris Rock in that movie. I think it's actually really good. Lynn Fiorentino is really good in that movie. George Carlin is good in that movie. But I just they're one scene performances. It's kind of hard to compare that to, you know, Leo or Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I like that movie though. That's a good one. You should see it, Terry. I should. I should. All right. Let's, uh, let's review our picks five to one before we get to, uh, trying to guess Adam's list. Zach, go first. Number five, Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar. Number four, Joan Allen in the Bourne Ultimatum. Number three, Haley Stein. That's not your list. What? Are you just coming up with new new picks now? What do you mean? That was not your list. <laughs> oh, this is I'm, we're not doing Adam's list. I'm sorry. Okay. No, <laughs> you're doing, doing you're list. doing your your All five right, to I'm one. So, your sorry. five to one. Okay. You heard you. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I had I had it ready to go. Um, uh... Number five, Sarah Silverman, and I'm effing Matt Damon. Number five, you, you can tell I really just want to hear Todd's list. That's what yeah. I, I, yeah. I want to get there. Number four was uh, Jude Law and the Talented Mr. Ripley. Number three was Mystic Pizza, Julia Roberts. Number two, Teddy KGB, a.k.a. John Malkovich and Rounders. And number one, Marky Mark in The Departed. Oscar nominated. All right. And mine, number five, Will Smith in The Legend of Agar Vance. Number four, Morgan Freeman in Invictus. Uh, number three, Jim Carrey in The Majestic. Number two, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed. And number one, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. And my number five was Michael Douglas in Behind the Candelabra. Number four, Angelina Jolie in The Good Shepherd. Number three, Edward Norton in Rounders. Number two, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed. And number one, Anna Paquin in Margaret. Okay. Now it's time to try and guess Adam's list. Zach, you're first. All right. 
Number five, again, Matthew McConaughey, number five, Interstellar. Number four, Joan Allen in The Bourne Ultimatum. Number three, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. Number two, Anna Paquin in Margaret. And number one, Leo in The Departed. And if he doesn't have Leo in The, in the Departed as his number one, then let's just throw out this list because that's just <laughs> a slam dunk. I know, I know. Uh, I, I will say, I wanted to mention my favorite performances by co-stars in, in the Bourne movies are uh, Franca Patente in, in, Born, uh, in Born Identity and uh, Julia Stiles does great in uh, Born Ultimatum as well. Okay, my my picks for his list. Number five, Haley Steinfeld, True Grit. Number four, Anna Paquin and Margaret. Number three, John Malkovich and Rounders. Number two, Tom Hanks, Saving Private Ryan. Number one, mm. Leonardo DiCaprio and The Departed. Okay, my number five is Taika Waititi in Thor Ragnarok. Number four, Edward Norton in Rounders. Number three, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. Number two, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed. And number one, Anna Paquin in Margaret. All right, here we go. Here's his list. Honorable mentions. He has Giovanni Ribisi in Saving Private Ryan. Tom Hanks. He, Saving Private he loves Ryan. the medics. Yeah. <laughs> because of your, your sideshow. I, I thought about putting Giovanni <laughs> on the list. Because of Doc Rowe, he loves the medics. Yeah, I mean that also because I mean that episode's awesome. But whatever. Okay, Tom Hanks, Saving Private Ryan, Tom Hiddleston, Thor Ragnarok, Heath Ledger, The Brothers Grimm, Sean Connery, Finding Forrester, Sam Rockwell, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, um, and Potatoes in The Martian, and Christopher Nolan's nice. Ego in Interstellar. Nice. He likes Number Interstellar. Five. I. I Apparently, number five, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit. Number four, Joey Lauren Adams in Chasing Amy. I know that was, I knew he was gonna choose a cameo one. Number three, Leonardo DiCaprio, The Departed. Number two, Edward Norton in Rounders. And number one, Jack Nicholson in The Departed. He he broke the rules. He broke the rules. rules. He broke the rules. I I got three right. I got, you got three. Dang it, I got. Yeah, I two, only had right? two. Yeah, Todd wins again. Gosh, dang it! How? Why did he break the rules? <laughs> I don't know because I don't remember you ever specifying that rule. I'm looking this up on my text. I don't think you ever specified that rule. And no mention of Margaret. I picked the wrong rounders guy. Otherwise, I think I might have won. If I had said Edward Norton instead of John Malkovich, I might have won. That's a dumb list. Leo should be number one. If he's said, next next power rankings is top five performances by Matt Damon's co-stars. Stillwater comes out next month. One performance per movie. No Goodwill Hunting. Exact okay. words I sent to both of you. All right. And he sent that same thing to Adam? Yeah, I sent it to him first. <laughs> All so right. maybe we, we throw out this list. Adam broke the rules, so I win. No, I still, I still <laughs> got more. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm claiming victory. I should take one. I Adam should be a negative one. Yeah, yeah, probably. Thirty three and a half for me. And and I have a feeling Giovanni Ribisi would have been the next one in if he couldn't have picked. But see, probably. the fact that Jack is number one though meant Leo was not going to be on the list. But then, but then Rib. Giovanni Ribisi would have been, and you had him on the list, didn't you? No. No, okay. I was going to. You were going to. Okay. The medic. 
All right. Notice that Ben Affleck appeared on none of our lists. Well, we couldn't pick uh, Goodwill Hunting. That was his best performance. Well, yeah, I mean, we could pick Dogma. Not, I mean, Terry couldn't have, but. Or what about uh, Jersey Girl? Because Matt Damon does have. Have you noticed that Matt Damon has a cameo appearance as an executive in two movies, two Kevin Smith movies? He is the PR exec in Jersey Girl, and he is the exec in uh, uh, Chasing Amy. Amy. Another ra cool. random Matt Damon point. Did you guys, see, when you w were seeing old, uh, did you see the trailer for the new Matt, Matt Damon movie, The the Last Duel? Yeah. Yes. I think that looks pretty good. I'm impressed. The only problem is it's directed by Ridley Scott. It, but did you know, did you guys know it's written by Matt and Ben, but they only wrote the male parts and yeah. uh, uh, Nicole, who, Hall of Center. Nicole Hall of Center wrote the female parts in it. That's oh, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, that's power rankings. Time to move on to our trivia segment. And Zach won last time. So he got to assign us some movies to watch. Todd, you're going to go first on telling us what you watched and uh, what you thought. Uh, I watched an Australian movie called Hounds of Love, which I know Zach had on like his top five of 2017, directed by Ben Young. And it follows with sort of this girl, Vicky Maloney, played by Ashley Cummings. And she gets abducted by this couple, John and Evelyn White, who uh, offer her a ride home in the middle of the night. And it first appears kind of harmless. Like, they just kind of wanted to chill once they bring her back to her place. But then it shifts into, like, this violent, twisted thriller thing because the couple are serial killers. And... Um, they, uh, he, she tries to turn them against each other in order to escape. And you don't really get a sense of what you're in for when it starts. It, I think it's like 20 minutes before a single word is said in the movie. It just sort of like lulls you into this and then it ramps up the intensity. And um, it's it's moody in a way that only really Australian movies can can be. Because like it, it, the plot is similar to like The Ref or something like that. There's a, a lot of these movies where like the victim is trying to put a wedge between the captors. But it's it's weirder and it's more devious and dangerous because it's in Australia. And it feels like it's it's dirty in a way that like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is or something like that. It it tries to traumatize you. And while it really doesn't do that, it it does work. And it will stick with you for a little while. Sort of like Compliance in that way, but this is a lot better than Compliance. Like uh, there really isn't that much of a plot. Not really a lot happens. You're kind of just stuck in the house with this girl who's uh, being, you know, you know, held captive by these ruthless serial killers, but I would have almost done away completely with the mother character who's trying to find her. That that plot doesn't really work. It just takes takes away from the what, what's actually happening at the house. But um, I, I think the movie's really good. The director's only done one other movie. It's this movie with Michael Pena called Extinction that looks horrible, but I haven't seen it. But this movie is good. I, I'm giving it it's a solid three stars. Well, I'm glad you like it. I loved this movie when I saw it. And in these moments of listening to this, of doing this podcast, I remember going to this movie just, you know, on a normal day in 2017 and really enjoying it. I, I miss the world, the, the way the world was four years ago um, in these moments of nostalgia. But I really am impressed by the, the characters in the movie. I, I'm sort of shocked that you didn't talk about the Emma Booth character in this movie, because I think she she gives an amazing performance a very complex, multi-layered performance. I think she maybe wins my best actress in 2017 um, because she's a woman who's sort of caught in almost the Stockholm Syndrome component of this movie. 
This movie's also very bleak and dark. It's surprisingly not as violent as you think. It does the sort of Tarantino Reservoir Dogs thing where a lot of the violence is off camera and it's more sinister that way. Didn't you think the resolution of this movie was sort of genius? Brilliant screenwriting, I think. Like how the character resolves to actually escape and, and get away. I mean, yeah, sort of. I mean, the how it was staged was really cool. I, I don't know if that it was that innovative, but I mean, it, it fit because everything you're leading up to it is just Very so cool. down. Yeah, it was a shocking ending. Re really well, well written by that uh, filmmaker. Yep. All right. Well, that is what Todd watched. I have not seen that movie. What I had to watch was a 2018 documentary uh, directed by Bing Liu called Minding the Gap. And I remember the big joke when uh, we revealed our top tens was... Uh, we, we were talking about the greatest skateboarding movie of 2018, and it was not called Mid-90s, the movie that uh, was done by Jonah Hill. It was Minding the Gap. Well, and, Zach said it was Skate Kitchen. Or I like Kitchen. Skate Kitchen. Skate Kitchen made oh, my yeah. top 10 list. But he didn't have seen like, Minding the Gap. Right. And I hadn't seen Skate <laughs> Kitchen. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I, I will agree that Minding the Gap is, is brilliant, and it's now in my top 10 of, of 2018 as well. Uh, yeah, this movie, it follows three people. Uh, Kiri, Zach, and the director, Bing Liu. And, and it talks about their childhood, how they grew up, uh, kind of a rough upbringing with uh, abusive parents in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, one downside is that no mention of the Rockford Peaches. How dare it? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Great call. <laughs> I never made that connection before, but that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, and how they, they used skateboarding as their outlet to get away from the the uh, the craziness that was going on at home get away from uh, the problems at home and this is how they met they met on the streets skateboarding and and doing these things and uh this film follows them from really kind of childhood through them becoming adults and kind of seeing how they ended up did their upbringing influence who they became uh for for zach yeah it kind of did uh for kiri he was doing everything he could to break out of that and become something else uh and for bing he became someone who just wanted to tell the story and became this filmmaker that he had always kind of been throughout his his childhood because it, it was a lot of archival footage that he had Put together from when they were teenagers and they were skateboarding he was always the one with the camera uh this movie is so fascinating and how it's really just these three guys these three normal average guys who live normal average lives um and even today there's nothing really spectacular about any of them other than one of them has a camera and it's what makes mining the gap a special movie and and you get to know and love these characters and you get to see them at their worst and you get to see them at their best, uh, especially the Zach character. He's a fascinating character because yeah, he is, he's got this magnetic personality, but at the same time, you see the, the, the dark side of him as well. And it's, I don't know. It, it's a brilliant movie. It's amazingly well done. And uh, yeah, just, just, what what he was able to put together and what he was and how he's working through his own uh his own demons and his own upbringing 
by making this movie, I mean, one of the more fascinating characters he he interviews is his own mother. mother. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. In my top 10 for sure now of 2018. Three and a half stars. Yeah, it, it's a movie that uh, I had not seen when we made our 2018 list. It was nominated for Best Documentary. Free Solo won Best Documentary. Those are very close documentaries for me. That both absolutely phenomenal, but completely different. I think it. I think it's the hoop dreams of the 21st century. You know, you watch these characters grow and develop. You would run into if you ran into Zach on the street. You wouldn't think twice about if you want to know him because in this movie he, he's a jerk he's a total douche in this movie i think his 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 girlfriend nina is fascinating too as she talks to the camera as well she's a very complex character and yet in a way um mining the gap is, is a reminder that documentary can elevate people who in your normal life you wouldn't want to get to know and you wouldn't really give a second thought to and the way that Bing Lao does it is just extraordinary. You're right. The way he talks to his mother, the self-examination in the movie is amazing. I, I can't think of another movie that really does something like that, where the director looks back on himself, and yet it's not really the main focus of the movie. The main focus of the movie, I think, is the industrial Midwest and how this town of Rockford... I've never been to Rockford, but listen, I live in the Midwest. I, I, I've seen kids like this. It just kind of destroys your soul. Um, and, uh, I think it's a beautiful portrait of America. It's a beautiful portrait of diversity. It's a beautiful portrait of, of masculinity. Um, it's everything you look for in a documentary. It's really grown on me. I've seen it now, I think two or three times since I first watched it. And it's just grown up each, each and each time I watch it. I think there's greater depth to it. So I have to say this, this movie, I actually watched twice. The first time I watched it, uh, I was trying to watch it at night after the kids went to bed. And it was just not the right night to watch it. Like literally as soon as I hit play, I fell asleep. Not, not that it was, it wasn't engaging. It was, I was so tired that like, I could not even make it through the opening credits of the movie. And so when it was over, I'd cut little pieces throughout. And when it was over, my wife said, wow. And I went, okay, if she's giving that reaction to this movie. I need to watch it again. And so the next morning I watched all the way through and yeah, just brilliant. Just brilliant. Thought I know it is in your top 10 of 2018. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys said it. I don't really know uh, all that I have to add. But I mean, I, I think like editing a movie like this or like Hoop Dreams is like something that is just like a masterpiece of editing. Because like there's there's so much that he puts into this and it and he somehow makes it coherent. And, and it's 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 brilliant. And yeah, it's one of my favorite documentaries the last 10 years. He's yeah. got another movie coming out it, this year, looks like. I will I will oh, confess yeah. right now, it probably should have beat Free Solo. And Free Solo is in my top 10 of the decade. Okay, but looking back on it, I think it in some ways is a more impressive feat of filmmaking. Kind of like going back to what you were saying, Todd, just having to edit this. I don't know how you would even begin editing this because it goes back for 10 years. I, I don't know where you begin with a project like this. It recalls kind of like Dear Zachary. Like, what do you do with this footage to make it a coherent story that emotionally resonates i think it's amazing amazing to watch hey has another documentary coming out this year called all these sons about gun violence and gang violence in chicago that's a must some, see something to look out for 20 people have rated it on imdb so far so 
There we go. Or was it at Sundance or something? Must, must have been at a film festival. Or something. Let's see here. Are we going to do at, it? was at Tribeca and then it was at, uh, at a Chicago film festival. What do you guys think about the film festivals? Like, I feel like Toronto is going to get canceled. Like, I feel like, like with with COVID right now, like we're seri- I think it is very interesting what's going to happen with these festivals in the next few months. Well, Nothing's can went off pretty pretty well. Well, I mean. can yeah, but that was they they timed that perfectly. I'm I'm more talking about like Toronto doesn't seem realistic. Telluride maybe, but like I don't know. South by Southwest. I mean, that's probably happening, right? Oh, um, I don't know about that. I don't know about CinemaCon in Las Vegas. That seems like it's going to get canceled. Or, or, you know, very marginally attended. I don't, I don't think, any, I don't think again, anyone's don't going canceled again. They might, they might go, go digital. more digital than digital, they were, yeah. they were expecting. Well, that's what I mean. But, yeah. Digital, but yeah. But I think we'll be fine. All right. Trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Zach, take us away. All right. So for trivia this week, uh, you know, Todd made this ridiculous power rankings of best uh, Matt Damon co-star movies. And I got to say, my number one would have been Robin Williams. But like we could just make the top five co-stars in Goodwill Hunting. So I decided to go with movies that have the word good in the title. Because why not? I like these lists with words in the title that are random because it's not a bullshit Oscar category that Todd's going to win. You could come up with a, some random 30s movie on TCM that Terry watched that has a word good in the title, which I did find, by the way. And uh, it, it could really be anything. So we're looking at... I also thought about making this, you could choose goodwill hunting, but I don't think there are a lot of movies with the words will and hunting in them, like The Hunting Ground and, you know, When Will I Be Loved? Sure. But let's just go with good. So... Top movies, movies, not top movies, movies with the word good in the title. I hope I've given you guys enough time to write down your stupid answers. Let's go with Todd first. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Good Morning Vietnam is definitely a movie, and that is correct. Good Night and Good Luck. Good Night and Good Luck is correct. The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. Did we mention that? I, uh, it is definitely correct. The Good German. The Good German. Was Matt Damon in that movie? No, George Clooney was. No, but he Clooney should have is. been. Should, Matt Damon should have been in that movie. He should have been in that movie. <laughs> good answer. Okay. Yes, Terry's on the board. Uh, good. Good time. Good time. The the feature before Uncut Gems by the Safdie brothers for sure. Yes. Point. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Who could forget? Absolutely. I don't think I have anything else. Wow. The king is dead. Really? I never win right. trivia. All right. All right. It's not an Oscar trivia. So, Terry. So, does chance. it have to be just the word good? Uh, it cannot be the word good. Well, no. Yes. It has to be the word good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, it can't be the goodbye girl or something. Yeah. That's right, what I was just thinking. Right. Um, okay. So. You're missing a lot of them. I know. I know. I know. Okay, what about okay, what about the goods? Does that work? The goods that documentary? No, the the it's a it's a comedy. Live, live hard, Jeremy Piven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that counts. Yeah, okay. what? That's not good. 
Oh, the good? Oh, you're right. It does have an S at the end. It has an S at the end. That's what I'm asking. Does that count? No, no. It cannot count. Sorry. Okay. I changed my answer. Um, I apologize. I I did not see the S until you pointed that out. (laughs) Um... Oh gosh. Um I know we're missing a ton. Yes. <laughs> pathetic. This is a it, pathetic showing. It is. It really is. It really is. Um 5 4 five, 4 3 2 1 Oh my god. Yeah, this no. was a disaster. Okay. Well, how about um, the good dinosaur, good boys? How about uh, a few good men, as good as it gets? Good burger, um, midnight in the garden of good and evil. Good luck, Chuck. In good company, Johnny be good. A Mickey Rourke movie that Todd should watch. Uh, Long good Friday. Goodbye, Lennon. All good things. Wow, wow. A good day to die hard. All good things. Also, I was trying to think of the title of all good. Things. All good things. All good things. I felt okay. like there, there's got isn't there a movie where it's like the good. And then someone's name. I almost want to give Terry a half point for the goods. Actually, I'm going to do it. Why not? That, that, so I that, win? That, uh, well, we have another category. Oh, gosh. I didn't know that. Terry wins the uh, part one of trivia by a score of three and a half to three. He'll start our next round of trivia. And the next round of trivia is kind of similar. It is... <clears throat> In honor of the Olympics, which are taking place in Japan, I thought another list that, you know, neither of you would ever do would be Japanese movies. Movies that are from the country of Japan. And there are many. I would dare say thousands of Japanese movies. So we're going to start with you, Terry. Name a Japanese movie. You really want me to lose, don't you? You have the lead right now. Uh, I'll start with uh, My Neighbor Totoro. My Neighbor Totoro is definitely a Japanese movie. Good call. <laughs> Spirited Away. Spir- I see the direction. We, we, we have a trend so far. Okay. Uh, Ponyo. Uh, another Matt Damon movie, quietly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Howl's Moving Castle. Howl's Moving Castle is also correct. God, you keep saying the one I'm writing down. <laughs> Um, there's another one. I, I'm not gonna come up with it, but there's another one that just came out this year. That's by like Miyazaki's kid. Um, but I'm gonna go with Departures. Departures is a Japanese movie, 2009 Best International Film. Good call. Yeah. Uh, nah, well, Adam's favorite movie, Your Name. Your Name is correct. Seven Samurai. There we go. That those are the kind of movies I, I I thought you guys should come up with. But yes, that is a Japanese movie. Battle Royale. Battle Royale is correct. I thought that was Korean. Oh, it's Japanese. Okay. Not Japanese. Um Battle Royale 2. <laughs> Battle Royale yeah. 2 is a movie. Yeah, yeah. You got that, Terry. <laughs> Shoplifters. Shoplifters, Todd's number one of 2018. Correct. Yojimbo? Yojimbo is correct. Rashomon? Rashomon is correct. There's no way I'm winning this. You realize You have the the lead at this point, There's no way I'm winning this. (laughs) Um, 
You're doing pretty well. This is... Yeah, but, like, I I don't remember any more Kurosawa movies, and Todd's (laughs) got the whole freaking dictionary in front of him. Um... Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm done. Okay. Todd, do you have any more? Well, there's Ron and Akira. Yeah. Correct. Uh, what's that other one? Uh, Stray Dog. Correct. Uh, is there another category? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, it's not over yet. It kind of is. No, it's, 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 not, it's not over yet. Uh, like father, like son. Oh yeah, that was a good one. That's a great movie. <laughs> Have you seen that, Todd, or do you just know the title? Oh yeah, I saw. I think you assigned that to me at one. Oh, okay, yeah, it's a great movie. Oh, can can I can I get oh. one more point? I I thought of one. Once Todd's done, Akira. Okay. Yes. Didn't he say that already? No, he said Ikiru oh. and Akira, which are different movies, very different movies. Uh, uh, Zatoichi. Yep, Blind Swordsman. Well, I mean that's a whole series of movies, but we'll we'll assume you're yeah. going with the 2003 version. Yeah, yeah that was what I was going for. Um, I know I'm forgetting. Like, uh, was it Weathering from You? Is that what it's called? Uh, I think it's Weathering with You. But... <laughs> Yeah, weathering with you. Yeah. Okay. I think so Adam's I a fan. Going. All right. Terry, what's your other one? Shogun Assassins. Shogun Assassin. Shogun Assassin. Yeah. It's yeah. so long. I suppose that counts. I would also. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm amazed you guys didn't go with Tokyo Story. Uh... And I'm also amazed you didn't go with um, what's the one with the babysitter that gets uh, interviewed for the job. Uh, Terry loves that movie. Um, babysitter that gets interviewed for the job. Yeah, the homicidal babysitter. Don't you? Um, I don't know. I'm I'm spitballing. Okay, never mind. I don't know. This was like when you when the category was movies that have been released by Criterion. It was like you just went down like the rabbit hole of like a couple things and then ran out and then didn't even expand to think of the rest of everything. <laughs> All right. Right now, Todd has 16 points. Terry has 10 and a half. We're going to go to one last category quickly. We're going to do our top 100 list next year, next week, next year. And uh, on the, our website, we have some top 100 lists and i'm just gonna be indulgent here um can you name what is in zach salsa's top 10 list according to the website which is a very wrong list that that list is probably 10 years old it is over 10 years old so movies in zach salsa's top 10 list from 2011 or earlier according to our website we're going to start with you terry and and you got to make up some points here the best of youth that is my number two movie of all time, according to that list. Correct. In the Bedroom. In the Bedroom is number one all time on that list. Correct. The Up series. No, that's not in your top ten. No, no, that's not my answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, come on, French. man. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um... In the uh, words of Stephen A., come on, man. 
Come on, man. Five, four, three. Two. I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, Just say the, something. The Departed. That's wrong. No. Todd. Uh, Annie Hall. No. Not right either. You guys uh, suck. The Gray Zone. Yeah. Uh, oh. The Gray Zone is number four. The, I, the I don't know. Zone? Uh, no, that's not on the list. Fargo, Fargo is number three. Oh, but we can't pick Fargo. No, <laughs> my dinner with Andre. Andre. Gosh, Forbid, dang it. Forbidden Games. Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Come on, man. Wait, wh- where's Danny Hall? <laughs> 11. Danny oh. Hall is 11. Whatever. Todd wins. So, what was the rest of the list? That was it. That, oh. we, we went through it all. Oh. The Man in the Moon. Paris, oh. Texas at number nine. Walkabout number 10. It will, be, it will be interesting to see how many of these movies even appear on my top 100 list now. <laughs> next week. <clears throat> wow. Up series was 16, by the way. Yeah, not a bad guess, but... Schindler's List is 14. Oh, so I wasn't even right there. Oh, I wasn't that far off. Well, that's why you won. Well, you, you, I know. You, if I would have gotten like one more, I would have clinched it because Terry was behind by so many. There's only ten options. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, good job, Zach. Maybe in you should have you, you done that in a different order. You should have done Japanese movies last. Listen, the the Ganacha de Fuego was the author of that trivia. So, <laughs> for better or for worse. Uh, well, uh, Devil's Cabbage to you. So, quote of the daytime. Todd won. Uh, I'm quoting Worm in the Rounders. He's talking about uh, his experience in prison. He says, you've got to understand there's two economies in there. There's cash and there's trade. So I've got to keep three games going at once. A game with the white guys, a game with the brothers, and a game with the guards. The trick is I've got to skim enough cash off the white guys so I can lose it to the guards so they can keep doing me favors. And I've got to to trim enough smokes off the brothers so I can trade and keep living the style I've become accustomed to. And I've got to do all this without getting my ass kicked. And I, I can't obviously quote that the way Edward Norton does, but things like that make that performance amazing. Well done. Well done. All right. My my quote is uh, from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and this is the, uh, the Dracula song with puppets. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. And if I see Van Helsing, I swear to the Lord, I will slay him. He take you from me, but I swear I won't let it be so. Blood will run down his face when he is decapitated. His head on my mantle is how I will let this world know how much I love you. Die, die, die. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) Dracula musical! It's awesome. Yeah. Zach. So my quote comes from uh, the second greatest co-star, Matt Damon, John Malkovich in Rounders. <laughs> in my club, I will splash the pot whenever the fuck I please. Uh, but there's some several other good lines. That son of a bitch all night, he check, 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 he trapped me. Lays down a monster. The fuck you lay that down. <laughs> uh, he's quite convincing. He as is. A, it's, a a great, it's a great accent. It is. It is. That's a position raise, I call. All right. All right, colleagues. 
So with K- after KGB and his Oreos, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week again with a very special episode where all four of us will be revealing our new and updated top 100 of all time lists. Uh, I have no idea how long that podcast is going to be, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Over under <laughs> is six hours. Uh, over under six <laughs> hours, I think, yeah. is, is fair. Is fair. The length of the best of youth. <laughs> My number two movie. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.